All right, so for this evening, we are going to be looking at three important elements in evangelism as we share the gospel, and I'm so glad that Paul is uh, making it very clear there's no doubts as to what our responsibility is to those who are lost. So if you would turn your Bibles to <clears throat> Colossians 4, Colossians 4, we're going to look at verses 2 through 6 this evening. I was looking at a recent statistic which actually made me very sad. And that is, according to a recent statistic, only 2% of people that go to church actively share their faith. Two. 2% of people who profess to know Christ as their Lord and Savior actively share their faith. Ladies, that is a horrible indictment on Christianity. I am very thankful that there are some people who would like to see that changed. I don't know how many of you uh, knew Dr. James Kennedy. He wrote material called Evangelism Explosion. It was excellent on equipping men and women to share the gospel. When my husband was at the Master's Seminary, I went through a program called Discipleship Evangelism, which is put out by Grace Community Church. It was excellent in training me to how how to evangelize. And even recently, in the last few years, some of you are familiar with Todd Friel, Kirk Cameron, and um, I forget the other guy's name, Ray Comfort, who have written uh, The Way of the Master. And it's been an excellent tool that many churches are using today to equip people in their church to share the gospel. And then there's some books out there. I put one on your homework. One of my favorites is Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. Um, this book is excellent in t- teaching you how to turn everyday conversation into spiritual conversation, whether you're at the hairdresser, whether you're in the marketplace, on the airport, or on the airplane, or something like that. How to turn everyday conversation to spiritual conversation. And then there's been individuals that have really wanted to see that changed. I remember a guy in Dallas, his uh, prayer and desire was that by the year 2000, everybody in the nation would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, ladies, that was 18 years ago, and not everybody in the nation knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've had men through the ages that have had a desire to see that change. Two percent of us share the gospel. That's horrible. And yet the Lord had that burden that we would. You know, that was one of the last things he said before he ascended into heaven. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. That was his final command to the church. And yet the church is being negligent. In fact, Peter even says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet the fact is, with all the programs out there and all the people that have burdens about uh, us sharing our faith, we're not sharing the gospel. You know why? Well, one of the things that Will Metzger, one of the first things he says in his book is the reason we don't share the gospel is because we don't open our mouth, right? We don't stop. We don't start. That's why we never go on a diet. We don't start, right? Right. But in the, in the evangelistic idea, we never open our mouths. We don't take initiative to share the gospel. Now, as a pastor's wife, some of the excuses I've heard over the years are these. Well, that's your and Doug's job. You and Doug are to be sharing the gospel. 
Or, you know, I'm afraid, Susan, of what others are going to think of me. Or do you know, Susan, if I share the gospel, I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to lose my husband. Um, That's one of my family members' excuse. If I come to faith in Christ, I'm going to lose my husband. This is one that I hear among Reformed people often. Susan, if God is sovereign in salvation, if he has chosen before the foundation of the world who's going to be saved, then why should I share the gospel, right? He's going to save whomever he wills. Now, ladies, whatever excuse you can come up with, it's hard to get away from the Great Commission, isn't it? We are to pray, we are to go, and we are to speak. And we're going to clearly see in these verses tonight, these are the three elements in evangelism that Paul makes very clear. So let's read the verses together, and then I'll give you a little outline. Notice what Paul says. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those that are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer every man. And so we're going to have a threefold outline. First of all, how do we pray for the lost? Uh, Paul mentions how we do this in verses 2 to 4, how to reach the lost in verse 5, and then how to speak to the lost in verse 6. So how to pray for the lost, how to reach the lost, how to speak to the lost. Now, as mentioned last week when we were looking at the slave-master relationship, it's very unfortunate that the translators came in and added chapters and verses in that particular passage because uh, Paul was still talking about slave-master relationship as the translators put in chapter 4, verse 1. In my opinion, chapter 3 should have had 26 verses if they were going to do that. But nonetheless, we looked at the master-slave relationship last week, and servants or slaves are to be obedient. They're not to just work when somebody's watching. We took this into even the workplace. We're not to just be working when the boss is watching us. We are to work as unto the Lord, knowing that one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to receive what we've done in our body, whether it's good or bad. But it doesn't mean the master's off the hook. Uh, Just because they're the head honcho doesn't mean that they're not going to stand before the head on that day. And so, therefore, they are to give to their servants what is just, what is equal, what is fair, out of their own resources, knowing also that on that day... They are, too, going to stand before God, and he is going to give them according to what they have done in their bodies, whether it's good or whether it is bad. So Paul is now going to shift the topic, shift the topic to evangelism, and he's going to be talking to all classes of people. Listen very carefully. He's talking to husbands and wives. He's talking to the children. He's talking to the slaves. He's talking to the masters. He's going to talk and write to them how to pray to the lost, how to speak to the lost, and how to reach the lost. So first of all, let's consider how do we pray for the lost. Notice what Paul says. Continue earnestly in prayer. So he begins with this admonition to continue earnestly, be diligent, persevere, cling in prayer. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Again, in Romans 12, uh, 12, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. In the assister epistle of Ephesians, he says, praying always with all prayer in supplication, with perseverance for the saints. 
ladies, we should be in a constant attitude of praying. Uh, in fact, just recently, I've had several women tell me, Susan, I am really convicted that I'm not praying enough. And ladies, we should be praying about everything. We should be praying through the day, not just, you know, when you have your time with the Lord and you open your open the Bible and read the word of God and say if, whatever you say to him in a few, you know, sentences or whatever. But we should be throughout the day calling out to the Lord. In fact, the way that Paul words this admonition, he's assuming they are praying. All classifications of people, all types of people are already praying. And if you think about it, he's, swipped, he's, he's shifting the topic a little bit. But remember, we've just been having the family relationship and then the master-slave relationship. So prayer's kind of in the middle. But think about it, ladies. Without prayer, you as a wife could never fulfill what Paul told you to do, right? To be submissive to your husband. Without prayer, a husband is no way going to love his wife and not be bitter towards her. Without praying, a child is not going to be obedient to their parents. Without prayer, parents aren't going to what? Discourage their children or provoke them to wrath. Same with masters and servants. And so all the duties that God requires of us, ladies, we can't do it without prayer, can we? We cannot. In fact, tonight my husband came in. He goes, have you been praying for me the last two days? And I said, sure I have, because he'd been kind of fatigued lately. And I said, yeah, I'm, and I said, I'm praying other things too, but I'm not telling you what they are. So, uh, you know, we, we pray, right? And without prayer, we couldn't get through a day, right? And so Paul goes on to say this praying is to be accompanied with watchfulness or, or vigilance, your, might, your translation might say, and thanksgiving. In other words, stay awake when you pray. Don't neglect prayer. Stay alert when you pray. Now, I don't know if Emily still does this or not. I'm not going to embarrass her, but I am going to embarrass her. But anyway, um, she used to tell me that when she would spend her time with the Lord, she removed her cell phone uh, because she found it to be distracting. That's one way to stay alert when you're praying. So you don't have to listen to your phone going off all the time. Um, I, ha I hear from women often, Susan, I have a difficult time staying alert in prayer. Well, I'm going to give you some tips what you should be doing. Not only put your cell phone aside. But pray out loud. Uh, pray out loud. Don't pray silently. Use scripture. Use the Psalms to pray for other people. Sing. A lot of times um, I'll just put on music, and those are my prayers for people. I love music. Um, I use the Valley of Vision quite a bit, which is a book of Puritan prayers. I usually re read one of those a day. Um, if you don't know what they are, go to the bathroom after class, and there's one in each of the sitting areas for women. But uh, they're great prayers. There's a whole book of them uh, that the Puritans have written. But, ladies, there's a lot of ways that we can stay alert in prayer. But don't avoid prayer. Do you know prayer is to our spiritual life like breathing is to our physical life? Do you know without prayer you're going to die spiritually? You will die. In fact, we have a sad account in, in the Gospel of uh, Matthew and Mark where uh, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and prays before the cross. And remember, he says, he takes Peter, James, and John's, and he says, sit here and watch with me while I go and pray. And then he goes off and he prays, and he comes back, and hours pass, and he says, what? Simon Peter, wake up. Could you not watch with me one hour you can't watch with me one hour. What does it say? The spirit indeed is what? Willing. The flesh is weak. And ladies, the idea is stay alert in prayer. And you know, I think Peter remembered this because he comes to the end of First Peter. And you know what he says? 
The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be watchful in your prayers. You know what? I, as an apostle, I failed my Lord. I fell asleep on him, Peter said. But he comes, he's a changed man. And in 1 Peter, he says, watch. Be watchful. Stay awake. Stay alert while you are praying. And ladies, we should. I mean, this is the Lord we're talking to. Um, Most of us in here are married. When your husband comes home in the evening, you want his divided attention, right? Pay attention. Look at me. Look at my eyes, you know, as I'm talking. How do you feel the Lord thinks of that when we are busy doing other stuff while we're praying or talking to him? And so stay awake. Stay alert. uh, Be uh, sober-minded in your prayers. Now, while we're watching and praying, there's an attitude that should go with that. And the attitude is thanksgiving or gratitude. It's kind of like what Paul says, that we're not to be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known to God. And the idea there is while we're praying, even though we're anxious about something, we're to be thankful for the opportunity that we have to trust God. Even if God doesn't answer our prayers like we want them answered, we are still to be thankful. Now, in the context here in Colossians, Paul is conveying the idea that as we pray, we watch for opportunities to share with the lost. We do it with an attitude of thanksgiving that we have an opportunity to share the gospel. Ladies, have you ever considered how amazing it is that God would use you and me to open our mouths to share the gospel with the lost? That is humbling, isn't it? That he would use us mere dust here today, here today gone tomorrow to share the gospel with another person. That's utterly amazing. And we should be thankful for that. Well, after Paul gives them an admonition to pray, he then gives a prayer request for he and Timothy. And it pertains to the gospel and sharing with those who are lost. Notice what he says as he talks to us. How do we pray for the lost? Here's how you pray. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds or in chains. Ladies, I find it very refreshing. The Apostle Paul was not too prideful to ask for prayer. You know why I say that? Because I've ran into a lot of Christian women over the years. And when you ask them, you know, how they're doing, oh, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. And yet, you know, they're not. How can I pray for you? Oh, I don't need, I, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't really have any needs. But you don't see this in the Apostle Paul. He's very open. He's very transparent. He's very humble. And he admits that he needs help, that a door would be open for him to share the gospel. Ladies, we need to humble ourselves. Drop your pride. Humble yourself. Confess your faults to each other and pray for each other. It was kind of refreshing last night. Doug was gone with all the Canfields, and I stayed home, and I had a new gal I was meeting with on the phone, and and um, we got done, and she goes, well, you really know me now. And I said, you know what? It's really refreshing because she was very honest about her past and her present. And I said, you know, I always tell women, just be honest with me. Uh, don't try to pretend that you're, you know, something that you're not. And uh, it was kind of refreshing. She was just all out there about who she really was and what she'd done. And, and I find that refreshing because, ladies, all of us have issues, right? We all have weaknesses. And here Paul is saying, pray for me. I need prayer. Now, his prayer request was a little bit different than some of ours, just like his prayer for the church at Colossae is a little bit different than some of ours. 
Instead of Paul asking them to pray that he would be released from prison, he asked them to pray that a door would be opened so he could share the gospel while he's in prison. Interesting. And ladies, I think it's interesting, too, if you look at this verse, Paul asked that God would open the door. Ladies, do you realize it's God who opens and shuts doors of opportunities for us to share the gospel? And sometimes we open the door prematurely. I've done that. And then we abort the process. And sometimes we slam the door that God has opened. And I've done that, too. And ladies, that's why we need to be praying. That's why Paul says, stay alert and pray. Lord, is this somebody you want me to share with? Do you want me to go and talk to this person? Lord, open the window of opportunity for me to share with this person. And that's why we need to be praying so we can heed the Spirit's prompting. Now, there appeared to be some obstacles standing in the way of the door being opened, and Paul wants those removed. He asked for a door of admission to be opened so he could preach the gospel. Now, again, ladies, notice Paul does not ask them to pray that he would be released from prison, but the door for the gospel would open in prison. (laughs) There's no selfishness. There's no selfish motives. He just wants to be used of the Lord no matter where he is. In fact, you know, there was another time that Paul was in prison and he wanted to share the gospel in the book of Philippians, if you remember that, when he was writing the epistle to the Philippians and he said, I'm here and I furthered the gospel. And, and, you know, he comes to the end of the epistle and he says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus and greet those in Caesar's household. In other words, while I've been in prison, I've shared the gospel. And guess what? Some here in Caesar's household have embraced the gospel you know it didn't matter to paul where he was he could you know be out on the damascus road or wherever or be in prison he wanted to share the gospel now notice what he calls the gospel here he calls it the mystery we had this in colossians already i know we've slept since colossians 1 and 2 but we saw back then that the mystery is really just the gospel it's something that was once hidden that now has been revealed and that is the gospel of jesus christ Now, before we go on, let me ask you a question. Do you ever have a burden for someone's soul, like a family member or a friend? Of course you do, right? I could go around the room tonight, starring with Mary Beth and in with Rita, and everybody in here, I'm sure if you're a really born-again Christian, you have somebody, a family member or a friend or a neighbor, that you have a burden for. You know they're lost. You know they're going to hell. When you do have that burden for them, Do you ask God to open the door of opportunity to share with them? And then do you take it when the Lord opens the door? Many times I've seen God open a door for me, but then I have shut it by my lack of boldness. I have also failed to ask God to open doors of opportunity when I knew I was going to be around family members that were unbelievers. And so, ladies, I think we can learn so much from the Apostle Paul. He is so passionate, so bold about the gospel that he ended up in prison because he shared the gospel. In fact, he makes it clear, that's why I'm I'm here. That's why I'm in these chains. Pray that God would open a door of opportunity for which I'm also in these chains. This is why I'm in prison, because I shared the gospel. And, ladies, not only was Paul being watched 24 hours a day by a Roman soldier, but he was handcuffed to a Roman soldier for 24-7. And yet, that didn't, that didn't affect him at all. He just wanted to get the message out. In fact, he writes in 2 Timothy 
He says, I'm suffering trouble even as an, as an evildoer, even into the point of chains. But he says, the word of God is not bound. Even though I'm here in chains, the word of God is not bound. Ladies, this is a rebuke to our comfortable Christianity, isn't it? We might be fearful of sharing the gospel because we might receive ridicule. We might not be liked. We might mess up in sharing the gospel presentation. But what if you faced imprisonment tonight for sharing your faith? What if you knew that if you walked out those doors tonight and you shared the gospel with somebody tomorrow, you might go to prison, might go to the Tulsa County Jail tomorrow? How many of you would wimp out? And if you did land in prison for the gospel, would you have the burning in your soul to get the gospel out or just get yourselves out of jail? Ladies, Paul had a burning in his soul to share his faith. Do we? We should pray and ask God to give us that burning to share with the lost. And let me remind you again, that's the last commandment Jesus gave before he went to heaven. Go. That's a command. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not an option. It's a command. Well, Paul further elaborates on his prayer request in verse 4. He says, I want to do this. I want to make it manifest as I ought to speak. You know what he's saying? I want to make the gospel known. In fact, he uses an interesting term here. He says, as I ought to speak. You know what he's asking? Pray for me. Pray not only that the door would be open so I can share the gospel here in prison, but pray for me as I share the gospel that the gospel is presented clearly. Ladies, listen very careful to me. To me. A good message presented in a bad way can do a lot of damage. And that's what Paul's saying. Pray for me that as I share the gospel, that it's clear, a clear message, a bold message. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In fact, do you know he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe, woe to me. Ladies, I fear our woe is if we don't get our family vacation this year. Or my woe is the raise that I hoped for. Or maybe your woe is the special attention. You know, woe is me if my husband doesn't pay me special attention. I wish we had the same boldness and passion and desire to share the gospel. Ladies, we should know how to share our faith in a clear and a precise way. So how do we pray for the lost? If you're taking notes, we pray for God to open doors of opportunity and we pray that we will present the gospel clearly. So pray for God to open doors. Pray that you will present the gospel clearly. Well, Paul now turns from how to pray for the lost to how to reach the lost. How do I reach the lost? How do I reach that neighbor that I'm burdened for? How do I reach my sister that I'm burdened for? How do I reach this, you know, even people in our church that we are burdened for? Notice what he says. Walk in wisdom towards those that are outside, redeeming the time. Paul says, if you want to win the lost with the gospel, you better be living the gospel. Walk in wisdom. In fact, walking in wisdom means to order your behavior in a wise way. 
wise way, making godly decisions. In fact, a wise person is one who knows how to regulate his relationship with God and others and his circumstances. One man said this, I thought it was great. He said this, Behave wisely towards outsiders, always bearing in mind that few men read the sacred scrolls, but all men read you. In fact, remember that song that was years ago, You're the only Jesus some will ever see? You ever thought about that? I mean, I, I know very few people that actually read this book outside, those that are outside the gospel, but they read me. They watch how Susan Joy Heck acts in traffic. They watch what Susan Joy Heck does at Walmart when, you know, she goes to the checkout counter and there's like 25 people in line. They might not read the Bible, but they see me. And if they know I'm a Christian, they're watching what I'm doing. In fact, Paul says, walk in wisdom towards those that are outside. He's not talking about those that are outside his prison walls. He's talking about those that are outside the gospel. They don't know the gospel. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, walk properly towards those that are outside so that you will lack nothing. In fact, in writing about qualifications for a deacon, do you know Paul says he makes it very clear they must be above reproach towards those that are outside? In other words, a deacon must be above reproach towards the lost the lost people shouldn't look at a deacon and say, ah, I don't know, there's, there's something not right there. And ladies, we must be careful because we as believers, many of us are conducting ourselves towards those that are outside and blaspheming the word of God and making it unattractive. In fact, I, you know, I've, I've said this many, many times, but it seems like weekly and just this last week, I saw where a guy who was the president of Southern Baptist Convention had to step out of his pastor for inappropriate things he did sexually. Then a few days after that, I read about another guy who was George Bush's pastor and one of our other president's pastor, and he's just been caught uh, embezzling money at his church. And I read these things, and I go, in fact, I took the one in and showed Doug, and I said, here, just another one, another Christian I use that term loosely. Another Christian being a laughing stock to the unbelieving world. And then we want to know why does anybody want to be why would anybody want to be a Christian if that's really what the Christian world is? And so ladies, we here tonight, we need to reclaim our testimony by walking in wisdom, walking wisely, being women of integrity. In fact, Paul goes on to say how we do that. We redeem the time with the lost. In other words, we buy up opportunities we have to rescue the lost, rescue the perishing. Ladies, we must rescue our time. Don't waste your precious time that God gives you. Use it for the gospel. In fact, you know, believers are to buy time like determined bargain hunters. Have you ever seen, have you, any of you ever had a garage sale? I've had, I hope my last, but every time I say that, I end up having another one. But, you know, you know, your, your ad says, you know, 7 to 12 or 7 to 2. And I don't know, I can look out my window at 6 o'clock and there's people waiting, you know. And then they come in there and they go through your stuff like vultures. And uh, that's kind of what Paul is saying. Buy up those opportunities like those determined bargain hunters at garage sales. They're serious. They're intent, right? They want that bargain. You've got, you've got something they want. <laughs> Ladies, that's how we should be when we are around the lost. Redeem the time. 
buy up the opportunity. In fact, when I was working on this lesson this uh, past summer, it was illustrated to me, again, every time I'm with my friend, I'm so convicted, and many of you know her, Maggie. And uh, I was out with her, and I think Debbie's with us. And, you know, every time I'm with Maggie Roller, and we were out to lunch with her, she did not let that meal go without sharing the gospel with that waitress. Anytime I've been with Maggie, around any outsiders, she buys up the time with lost people. She doesn't hesitate to share the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. Be intent on redeeming the time. In fact, the time here means just the season or whatever occasion God gives you. Buy it up. Redeem it. Don't just sit there and wait for an opportunity to fall into your lap. Go after it. Buy it up. Ladies, time is precious, and the older I get, I realize how precious it is and how fast it goes. We shouldn't waste it on trivial drippings while people are dying and going to hell. Buy up the opportunity. In fact, Paul says something similar in the uh, sister epistle. He says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. In fact, some of you have heard me tell several years ago, um, I was on my way home and I stopped to get gas and I had to go inside to pay, I think, for some reason. I don't remember why. And I walked in and the clerk said, boy, he said, "Uh, you sure are happy. What's the key? You know, I had a moment right there to figure, I go, and in my mind, I was like, I should open my mouth and tell them exactly what the key is. But you know what I did in my mind? I'm justifying. Well, I got to get home because I got to cook dinner for Doug. Like Doug Heck would be really upset if I said, honey, I'm going to be late because this guy, I shared the gospel with him. And uh, ladies, I'm ashamed to stand up here tonight and tell you this, but I missed the open door. You sure are happy. What's the key? I missed the open door. I did not buy the opportunity that God gave me. And I will tell you, having had this happen, not just once, but many times, those opportunities usually never recover themselves. You can't go back, you know, and redo. I couldn't go back to the gas. I don't even know if that guy was there at the gas station again. So you remember he asked me the other day? I want to tell you now. But uh, they usually don't recover themselves. So how are we to reach the lost? We reach them by conducting ourselves in wisdom. We reach them by buying up opportunities we have with them. So we've seen how we pray for the lost, how we reach the lost, and now Paul tells us how to speak to the lost. How do we speak to them? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer everyone. Now what does it mean your speech should be gracious? It should be gracious. It should be joyful. I like the words my husband uses. Um, He says our speech should be winsome. We should be winsome. Um, It also should be seasoned with salt, which is interesting because if you remember in your first lesson, not far from uh, the city of Colossae was a salt sea. Do you remember that? And there was a salt lake. And so the church at Colossae would understand when Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. In fact, the seasoned with salt is in the present tense, which means we have been seasoned with salt and we should continue to have our speech seasoned with salt. In fact, seasoned means to prepare with stimulating condiments. And in fact, you think about it, salt has flavor, doesn't it? 
In fact, today, Reed and I were out to lunch, and we try to get together once a month and just catch up and share prayer requests. And I don't know about you, but I wanted salt on my food. There wasn't much salt on that stuff. And I kept thinking, well, I don't see any salt shakers at this restaurant. But uh, salt makes food taste better, doesn't it? It kind of lightens it, livens it up a little bit. And so, ladies, when you think about this with our speech... Our speech should be thought-provoking. It should be worthwhile. It should be stimulating. It shouldn't be a waste of time. It should be attractive. It should have spiritual charm, if I could use that term. In fact, I've met some Christians, and so have you, that quite frankly, if I was an unbeliever, I would not be attracted to them because of their speech alone tone of voice. In fact, one of our churches that my husband pastored, every time I'd see this woman's caller ID on our home phone, I dreaded it because I knew as soon as I picked up that telephone, she had a long list of complaints. And uh, it's kind of difficult to be around people like that. Um, People that are harsh in their tone of voice, angry, sarcasm, sexual overtones, uh, being impatient, That is not becoming to a believer. Also, negative speech, sour faces, you know, gloom and doom. And, you you know, you think that, you know, you married, uh, got married and you married the Antichrist or something. I mean, some Christians, they have these, you know, long drawn faces. That's not attractive to a lost world. I remember years ago when I was being discipled uh, by a friend of mine and she said, Susan, women don't approach you because, uh, you never smile. And I'm like, I don't. I, I. She goes, and I know you're joyful, but you don't show it on your face. And so I'd be walking in Walmart, and I'd catch myself in a mirror. I thought, man, I really do like look like gloom and doom. So I'd walk in and start, you know, just going like this. Like, here I am. It's happy. But, um, you know, I start realizing when I look at somebody's face at Walmart, just give them a smile, you know. And I am pretty serious, and you guys, you girls know that, but doesn't mean that I'm unhappy. I'm just, I'm serious. And so we must remember that we want to be attractive to a lost world. In fact, remember our study in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And ladies, I'm afraid some of us have lost our saltiness by our speech being more like pepper than salt. (laughs) In fact, some bad examples here of unsalted speech towards the unbeliever would be something like this. Are you saved? Don't you know you're going to hell? Don't you know there's only one way to heaven? That's not salty, right? It's more like hot pepper. Maybe you could say something like this. You know, I've noticed you seem to be struggling with something. I really would like to help you. Or, you know, my life has been given so much meaning since I came to faith in Christ. Could I tell you about that? Or what is your religious background? Or who do you believe Jesus is? Those are kind of inviting questions. And ladies, when we think about salt, it has a twofold purpose. It gives flavor and it preserves from corruption, right? And so as far as flavor goes, as I mentioned, joyful, witty. In fact, that's what it meant in classical Greek. Joyful and witty, not boring, not boring. Doesn't mean that whatever we talk about always has to be religious, but it should be properly seasoned. And it's also salt is a preservative. And so when we use our mouths, we shouldn't speak corrupted things. Like uh, Paul says in Ephesians, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edification of the saints. So our mouths should not be speaking ungodly things. One man said this, 
foolish remarks, ungracious, surly, cutting retorts, saltless talk is vapid and from which the hearer's mind turns away because it's not worth considering. He said, never does the Christian cause any good. So why should our speech be seasoned with salt? Notice what Paul says. So that you can give an answer to every person. So that every person is to be answered appropriately to his question. Whether he has a sincere question, insincere, dumb question, smart question, to answer their questions. In fact, Peter says something uh, similar, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be always ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that is within you. And my friend, we need to know the gospel and the word of God so that when someone asks you about your faith or they say, hey, you look happy, what's the key? Then we can share, right? What if Philip hadn't known the gospel? I think about Philip, you know, when the spirit said, go join yourself to that Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he was on the chariot. And so Philip goes up to the chariot and he goes, do you understand what you're reading? And you know what the Ethiopian eunuch said? How can I unless someone explain it to me? Now, what if Philip had said, well, I got to jump down from the chariot, got to go home and read the John MacArthur commentary. I'll be right back. But you just stay right here. No, Philip opened the mouth and he, he taught him from Isaiah. And then so much so that pretty soon they see water and he says, here, what's, here's water. I want to be baptized. And so Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch and on he went on his way. What if Philip didn't know what to say? Would it have lost opportunity, right? He wouldn't have known what to answer. Well, how do we pray for the lost? We pray that doors would be open and we present a clear message. How do we reach the lost? By conducting ourselves with wisdom and by buying up opportunities with the lost. How do we speak to the lost? We speak with gracious and seasoned words. Now, ladies, if you do not know how to share the gospel, I want to encourage you to pursue those avenues I listed on the questions for consideration. I also will give each one of you one of these if you want. It's a book I wrote on the liberating gospel. gives four points. They all start with the letter L. I had Debbie bring uh, 30 tonight. You're welcome to have one. It's a very simple uh, way and a message of how to share the gospel. But, ladies, time is fleeing. We must evangelize the lost while there's time. In fact, according to the text tonight, there are six musts that you must do, according to this text, and I'm going to give them to you by way of closing. First of all, you must pray. You must pray. Do you pray for opportunities to share the gospel? When is the last time you prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel? And how often do you pray for the lost? Secondly, you must buy up the time. You must buy up the time. Ladies, there must be a sense of urgency. Do you have a sense of urgency with those that you know who are lost? You know, too often we excuse ourselves by thinking, you know, I'll I'll share with that person tomorrow or maybe next week. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were as urgent about the gospel as we are about paying our bills on time or securing a mate, a home, a family, or getting that email or tweet sent or getting our taxes done or some deadline at work? Wouldn't it be great if we were urgent about the gospel as we are about some of those things? If we were, we might see some wonderful results, wouldn't we? Thirdly, we must walk wisely. We must walk wisely. 
Would your next door neighbor tell me that your life is conducted differently than those who are outside the faith? Do others see you as different from the world? Fourthly, we must be gracious. We must be gracious. Now, ladies, you cannot be so gracious that you never open your mouth. Some people I know are so offend, are afraid they're going to offend a non-believer and they never open their mouth. But when you do open your mouth, be gracious, be kind, be winsome, be salty in your speech, be caring. Number five, we must be lively. Season with salt. We must be lively. Ladies, our gospel presentation should not be dull. It should not be boring. It should be lively. It should be exciting. You know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is an exciting story. It is absolutely amazing. Now, it doesn't mean that you leave out the lordship of Christ. It doesn't mean that you leave out repentance. I mean, that's exciting. I know for me, when I came to faith in Christ, it was the most exciting thing that finally my sins had been forgiven and that guilt that I was carrying around all those years was finally gone. (laughs) That's exciting stuff, right? And lastly, we must be well-grounded. We must be well-grounded. Paul says you need to know how to answer every man. Ladies, you should not have a canned gospel presentation. You should be able to answer questions like, what makes Christianity different from other religions? How can I know for sure I have eternal life? How do you know Jesus is the Son of God? Now, ladies, this does not mean you have to have the Bible mastered. But if you are not pursuing the scriptures with the idea of knowing them thoroughly, you won't be able to answer those questions that people ask you. We cannot afford to not buy up opportunities to share our faith. I fear that we're going to stand ashamed on that day for not redeeming the time as we should. In closing, many years ago, there was a song written that I thought would be good to meditate on as we close, and I'm just going to read it to you by way of closing. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me, that I may bravely do to my part to win that soul for thee. Some soul for thee, some soul for thee, this is my earnest plea. Help me each day on life's highway to win some soul for thee. Lord, lead me to some soul in sin and grant that I may be endued with power and love to win that soul, dear Lord, for thee. To win that soul for thee, my Lord, will be my constant prayer that when I've won thy full reward, I'll with that dear one share. Let's pray. Lord, We can't say anything really except forgive us. Because, Father, when we think that 2% share their faith, we stand guilty. Because, Lord, we know, every one of us in this room, including myself, know that we have not bought up those opportunities to share the gospel. In fact, Lord, I know I've talked with people lately. I don't even know anybody recently that's come to faith. It seems like... People aren't even talking about Christ anymore. I pray, Lord, that you would ignite some of these ladies' hearts, all of our hearts, really, to um, 
be more active in this discipline of sharing the gospel. Lord, we know that we don't have the passion or the burden that we should. We don't realize that hell is real. We don't think on that. I think of my mother's friend who just even recently told me that she was ashamed that she had never confronted my mom with the gospel and yet believes as I do that she's probably in a Christless eternity. Help us not to be like that. Help us to be loving and kind enough and love people enough to share the gospel. So, Father, I pray you'll give us opportunities this week, and I pray that we won't slam the door, but I pray we'll walk in those doors and that you will give us that speech that is gracious and winsome and ability to present a message in a clear way. And I pray this, Father, for the glory of our Savior. In his name I pray. Amen.